Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, good to be with you again today. And we are in the book of Daniel. And uh, just before we get started, let's pray together that God would speak to our hearts, okay? God, we just thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And I pray that, Lord, as we dig into your word, that it will come alive in our hearts and it will birth in us a great conviction in you, that our faith will be strengthened today. And no matter what comes our way, God, that you will enable us to be strong in you. And we thank you that you are the sovereign God, the God who owns truth and, and uh, your truth reigns supreme. And we thank you that you are the one who determines our eternal destiny. And we have trusted our lives into your hands. And we thank you for this opportunity to learn and grow and to be touched by you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's recap a little bit with Daniel, because today is my last talk on, on Daniel, and we're going to start a new series next week. But uh, Daniel finds himself in a, as an exile in a foreign land, and he's immersed in a culture of false gods. And he is constantly being pressured time and again to compromise his faith and to basically bend to the culture around him and to, and to give up or forsake his God. But he stands strong with courageous conviction. And his convictions are this, and really the main theme of Daniel, the book of Daniel, is that God is sovereign, that he rules over all. And Daniel has that conviction that God is greater than even all the kingdoms of the earth. And not only that, but that God reigns supreme and his truth is supreme. There is no other or greater truth than God's truth. And that God is the one who holds eternity for all of us. Our lives are in God's hands. And so with these convictions that God is sovereign, God's truth is supreme, and our life is in God's hands, he holds eternity in his hands. Daniel stays strong in his faith, and God continues to use him as an example of what happens to a person who is fully trusting in God. And so we can take great encouragement from Daniel's example. And today we're going to uh, look at a couple more stories out of the book of Daniel. Just a quick summary. Courageous conviction, when we started this series, does not compromise on the small things. And in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel refused to be defiled by the king's food, and God's favor was on him. In Daniel chapter 2, we learn that courageous conviction does not surrender to the temptation of personal gain or glory. Daniel gave all glory to God, and God elevated him when he interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, he did something that he couldn't do, but it would have been easy for Daniel to take credit for it. But he didn't. He gave all glory to God. And last week we learned that courageous conviction stands strong no matter the threat or the consequences when we, when we learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would rather die serving a living God than live serving a false dead God that, that would not give them eternal life, right? So Daniel's friends feared God more than man, and God rescued them. And today we're going to look at that courageous conviction is consistently displayed in the details of one's life. That Daniel remained faithful to God, and God was faithful to him. When we look at Daniel chapter 6, it's a famous story called Daniel and the Lion's Den. But before we get to chapter 6, I want to really do a quick run-through of chapter 4 and chapter 5 to set the scene for chapter 6. So the theme again is God is sovereign. And in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream and Daniel interprets it and then it comes true. And it's just, it's just a crazy idea what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. But because pride entered his heart, 
God was going to humble him. And so he gave him this dream that he would become uh, like an animal. He would be living uh, among the animals. Uh, he would lose his mind, basically. And he would be in that state until he came to the conclusion within his heart that God is sovereign. This is how uh, Daniel uh, says it in Daniel chapter 4, verse 26. Your kingdom will be restored to you, Daniel's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, when you acknowledge that heaven rules. <laughs> I love that phrase. Heaven rules. God is sovereign. And so God was teaching the greatest man you know, of power at that time, the king of the Babylonian Empire, to humble himself that King Nebuchadnezzar, you are not sovereign. You are not all powerful. I have placed you in this position, but I am the living God. And you need to acknowledge that God is sovereign. That's, that was the um, lesson that God was teaching King Nebuchadnezzar. And it happened. He lost his kingdom. He went crazy. Uh, and then he came to that conclusion in Daniel chapter 4, 37. This is what he said. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. That's a great conviction that we ought to have too. Everything God does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And God will humble uh, those who have pride, right? So that's Daniel chapter 4. Now, Daniel chapter 5 is another really crazy story. King Nebuchadnezzar is gone, uh, passed away, and his son Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, is now taking over. And he is having this big banquet, and he's proud. He's flaunting um, you know, his wealth and his power, and he invites a, a, a thousand people over for a big party, all the big wigs, all the people of importance. And he is so arrogant that he takes the goblets and the, and the uh, vessels that King Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple of God when he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And he brings them out of the king's treasury in the storehouse and he uses them for his party. He desecrates basically uh, the holiness of God's you know, utensils that were used by the priests. And he's casually getting drunk and drinking out of these goblets. And God shows up in the middle of the party. A hand appears and begins to write words on the side of a wall. Nobody understands the, this language. And so they call, uh, they, they eventually get Daniel to come over to interpret because they knew that he had the Spirit of God in him. And so Daniel begins to say this in chapter 5, verses 20 to 24. He's talking about the story of Belshazzar's dad. And he's talking to him. He says, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. This is verse 20 to 24. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. So Daniel is recounting to Nebuchadnezzar's son, who's now king, what happened. And his son knows this because Daniel says, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. 
Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Wow. Daniel is rebuking the king. He's calling him out and saying, you are arrogant and you saw what happened to your father and you knew all of this and you still, you are still defying the God of heaven and you are worshiping and acknowledging gods that are no gods at all, silver, gold, wood, you know, all these false gods who don't, who, who don't think, who don't understand, who can't talk, who can't hear. They're dead. They're false gods. You made them. You know they're not gods. And yet you will not honor the true God. And so then Daniel interprets what the words say on the wall. And to summarize it, basically God says to him, your time is up. It's over. And that night, King Belshazzar's life was taken. And the kingdom of Babylon fell and a new kingdom arose, a new empire under Darius. It became known as the Medo-Persia Empire. And this is in 539 BC. Now, Daniel chapter 6 begins. There's a new king. There's a new kingdom. But listen to this. The same sovereign God. The same sovereign God. Just a little bit of history on Daniel. We've talked about some different history before, but just to give you an idea, Daniel was deported in the first wave of exiles in 605 BC when the Babylonian um, armies began to lay siege and begin to be built, okay, and take over. So he came out in 605 and came to Babylonia as one of these young teenagers, we think perhaps 17 years old, okay? This is just a really good educated guess on how old Daniel was at that time in 605 BC. Now we're at 539 BC. We're talking uh, 66 years later. Daniel is still serving at the top of the government here in this empire for 66 years. He is about 83 years old. That's my best guess as we read Daniel chapter 6 and the lion's den. He wasn't a teenager being thrown into the lions. He was an 83-year-old man who was still very vibrant and at the top of his game, if you will. Right? And he served under four kings. Daniel's an amazing character. He served under King Nebuchadnezzar, which we've been talking about mostly. His son, Belshazzar, which was a very short list. <laughs> lived uh, reign. Then he, then Darius, who was the king of the Medo-Persian. And then after Darius was a guy named Cyrus, who's also in the Bible. And under Cyrus, uh, the Jews were able to begin in 538 BC to return to Jerusalem to build the temple. So Daniel, in his assignment, his life was assigned to prophetically continue to declare the sovereignty of God in a fallen world with false gods all around him. And he lasted the entire time of the exile of Israel from their land. It's just incredible, incredible. And just as people began to return 
to the land. We, be, we believe that Daniel, you know, within a, a few short years there, passed away. He could have been in his 90s. But he was serving in a foreign land the entire time, prophesying and, and also living out the truth that God is sovereign. Wow, just so cool to have this history all kind of interwoven into what, what we're learning and talking about. So in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel rises to the top among all the 120 satraps and rulers of the new kingdom. And King Darius plans on putting him in charge of the entire kingdom because his wisdom uh, was so much greater than everybody else's. He was already one of the top three rulers and Darius was going to elevate him to the top over the entire kingdom. But jealousy moved the other rulers to try to find fault with Daniel, to discredit him, to take him out so that they, they maybe would have a shot at being the most powerful ruler. And they tried hard but could find nothing against David. He was doing nothing wrong. I'm sorry, not David, Daniel. But Daniel was without corruption. He was diligent. He was excellent in all of his duties. So they set a trap for him. If you've read the story, you know that the leaders tried to, they tried to trick King Darius into creating a law that said for the next 30 days, no one could pray to anyone except to the king. Now, they knew that Daniel was a, a God-fearing man and that he prayed three times a day. They knew this. It was no secret. Daniel was practicing his faith, but they go to the king and they say, all of us, king, have agreed in, that you should make this law. Well, that was a lie because obviously Daniel was one of those satraps. He was one of the top three rulers. And obviously he would not have agreed to this rule. So they were lying to the king. But it worked. The king made the decree uh, according to their traditions. Once the decree is made, the law cannot be broken. The king cannot change it. And so it was, the trap was set. So they pitted the law of man against the law of God. And in our culture, we're already starting to see some of those things happen where there's the law of the land that contradicts what our conscience says the law of God is for us. And we need to stand strong on the law of God, the word of God, because it's right and it's righteous and our God rules and reigns. This is a good example of how to stay strong in faith, in your convictions in God. And so uh, what happens is, well, they basically spy on Daniel. Daniel does what he's always done. The Bible says here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he heard about it, he knew about it, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. It's not in secret. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This is what conviction is all about. Our convictions are in our daily routine. We live this. We don't just pull, it, pull our convictions out of a closet, you know, in certain moments of uh, tension or conflict or crisis. No, no, no. Our convictions are, are oozing out of us all the time. They, they affect our daily life, our daily routines, our daily attitudes, our daily choices, our daily morality. We live it because that's who we are, right? And that's who Daniel was, and he didn't change anything. He wasn't going to change his faith according to a false uh, uh, culture pressure to, to, to bow. So it says, then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel, they're spying on him, and they found him doing what he always does, praying and asking God for help. Praying and asking God for help. So they go to the king, they tell the king, they accuse Daniel of breaking the law, which he did, and they demand 
that he be thrown in the lion's den, which is what the decree said. If anyone prays to any other God or any other person other than King Darius, they'd be thrown into the lion's den, which really was a, a, the death penalty. There was no question about it. This was certain death. It's just a, a, an extravagant way to do it. <laughs> and so Daniel 6, uh, 16, um, the, the king is, uh, he likes Daniel. He He's going to elevate Daniel to the top of his kingdom. He, 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 he's brokenhearted, and he's desperate for a while, trying to figure out a loophole or a way to set Daniel free, but he can't figure it out. He can't do it. And so the pressure of the law and the people, uh, he has to agree. And as he is making that decree that Daniel needs to go into the lion's den, he says this. He's actually praying. <laughs> he's actually praying and breaking his own law. I don't know. It's kind of funny to me. Nobody noticed it, I guess, at the time. But he said this, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And he's pleading. And he's basically praying to Daniel's God, May, may your God save you. And so Daniel um, is tossed in the lion's den. As you know the story, and in Daniel chapter 6, verse 21 to 23, the king can't sleep that night. He's worried. He's, he's hoping that Daniel survives. And at the very first dawn of the next morning, the king rushes to the lion's den, has his guards remove the stone, and he yells down into the lion's den, says, and he says, Daniel, has your God saved you? Has your God saved you? Are you still alive, basically? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. You hear the voice of Daniel. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he trusted in his God. This is the theme here of this story, that those who trust in God, God will save. There is salvation in those who trust in God. And of course, the king was super excited, uh, but he was also kind of mad. He was also kind of mad, and he threw all of those who had accused Daniel and trapped him in this and their families uh, into the lion's den, and they were immediately uh, uh, destroyed or killed. By the, before they even landed into the pit, the lions must have jumped up in midair, and it says they crushed all their bones. Whoa! So we know that this was a miracle from God, that the angel of God, maybe it was Jesus himself, just said, nope, nope, closed the mouths of the lions and held those mouths closed and said, you will not touch him uh, because he's under my care, under my protection. Man, that's so awesome. And God is with us. God can do anything. Just like we saw him show up in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now he shows up in the lion's den with Daniel. And he protects. His angels guard us and protect us. And our trust is in God. Why? Because he is sovereign and his truth is supreme. And he holds in his hand our life, our eternity. Wow! He's the one that has the final say over you and your life, no matter where you are or where you go, when you are trusting in him and following him. He's with you. That's so exciting. And so uh, this is what the king decreed. And I want to ask you to try to memorize what he said. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 and 27. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And here's the part I want you to memorize. For he is the living God 
and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. New king, new kingdom, same sovereign God. Wow. This is the God who saves. This is the God who rescues. This is the God whose dominion lasts forever. Right? This is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Just like the rock uh, that, that Daniel interpreted the dream in chapter 2 would not knock down all the other kingdom, kingdoms of men and it would grow into a mighty mountain and it would dominate and it would last forever. So this King Darius has the same revelation from what Daniel went through with the lions. Wow! And the living God so awesome. I love this phrase. This is the living God. The gods that Belshazzar had made and worshiping gold and silver. And, and, and Daniel says, you're worshiping gods that can't speak, can't hear, can't understand. You made them. Man makes false gods. But the living God made man. You see, any false god that we worship, we make that god. We're making dead gods. But the living God made us. And that's the, that's the revelation of Daniel. There is a living God. So I want to talk about this for a few minutes before we finish this talk. And I want to give you a little Bible lesson. How to read and study the Bible. I'm going to use this story as an example. So when you're reading and studying the Bible, this opened up my eyes more than anything else I've ever done in understanding God's Word. It's this. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Even if you're reading in the Old Testament, look for Jesus. So I want to use this story as an example to look for Jesus because the, all the scriptures are pointing to Jesus. Jesus, uh, the Bible says in John that the Word of God dwelt among us and, uh, and we beheld His glory. The Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Of God. He actually is the Word. In John 5, um, uh, verse 39, he's talking to his listener. He says, you guys, you diligently study the Scriptures uh, because you think that by them, by the Scriptures, you possess eternal life. But then he says this, but these are the Scriptures that testify about me. All of these stories, all these Scriptures, they're actually talking about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. The living God, Jesus is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. He is the Word. The Word is about Him, and He is the living God. Look at this real quick with me. Um, there's going to be 10 parallels we point out very quickly between the story of Daniel and Jesus. First of all, both fall prey to a conspiracy. We just talked about how Daniel was conspired against, and we remember the story of Jesus, how the leaders of his day were jealous of him because all the people wanted to make him king. And so they created a conspiracy, and they were trying to find fault with Jesus. But number two parallel is no fault could be found in Daniel 
and no fault could be found in Jesus. They had to start making things up. In fact, in the New Testament, we see how they were trying to get false testimony to condemn Jesus, trying to use the law just like Darius and was, was um, you know, used to make a law to trap him uh, into punishment because there was nothing they could find that Jesus or Daniel had done wrong. You see, the story of Daniel here is a foreshadowing of Jesus and his salvation. Number three, both are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, uh, the wife of Belshazzar the king, and when he's trying to figure out what this writing means, she says, listen, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. That was Daniel chapter 5. Verse 11, and we know Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was baptized. He came out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended upon him and lighted upon him in the form of a dove. And he walked filled with the Spirit of God. That's when his ministry began, right? The fourth parallel, both Daniel and Jesus were to be put over the entire kingdom. This is very interesting. Of course, Daniel, uh, we see Daniel there in, in chapter 3, how Darius was going to elevate him to the top. But in Daniel chapter 7, there is another prophecy. We're not going to be able to talk about this. Uh, any, you know, we don't have time to talk about this whole thing. But I'm going to point out verses 13 uh, to, to 14. Listen to this. Uh, Daniel is, is, um, is, is uh, sharing a vision that he had. In my vision at night, I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man. This phrase, son of man, is key. This is one of the messianic titles in the Old Testament that Jesus pulled out and placed on himself. And he referred to himself as the son of man. It's a messianic title. Look at what the son of man did. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Jesus was going to be elevated to the very top. Right? And so both... Um, we're, you know, we're, we're involved in, the, in this conspiracy uh, out of jealousy, out of power. And so number five, the parallel is that both pray before their arrest, right? Daniel goes, he prays three times as he always had. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where salvation, his, his march to the cross began. His first drops of blood were, were, were purchasing our forgiveness. And he prayed three times. Read the story in Matthew. Uh, you can read that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 44. Three times he left his disciples to pray before he was arrested. Number six, both cases, the judge or the king or the person in, in charge sympathizes with the accused. We see the king Darius is sympathizing with Daniel. He wants to save Daniel. He's trying to figure out a way to get him out of this. We see Pilate, who is the governor, um, uh, his wife comes to Pilate, says, don't have anything to do with this man. I had out a nightmare last night. This man is innocent. Don't touch him. Do not, do not be a part of this, right? And so Pilate is trying to get the crowd to choose Barabbas instead of Jesus. Number six parallel is that the, while the judge sympathizes with both, both of them, 
the parallel number seven is that neither one of them are able to get the, to get the accused off. And so King Darius uh, fails, right, to find a loophole. And Pilate fails to influence the people. And he actually washes his hands as if that takes the guilt away from him. Number eight, both are sentenced to death and are executed. So Daniel is, uh, is tossed into the lion's den. Uh, that's the execution moment. And Jesus is put up on a cross and is crucified. And number nine, the den and the tomb, both, are closed with a stone and sealed uh, with a ring. Wow. You see the parallels. This is just amazing. And finally, and the most exciting part, is when the stone is removed, both reappear alive. <laughs> yeah. If you read the story of Daniel and you just think about Jesus, this is a foreshadowing by God in real history with a real person of the salvation that he's going to use to save his people, Israel. So Daniel is a picture of Jesus. The Israelites sinned. They turned from God, right? Their sin caused them to be exiled in defeat. And God uses Daniel to prophetically show his salvation for Israel, that trusting in God results in salvation. Let me say that again. Trusting in God results in salvation. And then Jesus comes. We have all sinned. We have all fallen from God. We are all exiled from God's presence in our sin. We are all alienated by our sin. And Jesus is the plan of God's salvation for us. Everyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. Jesus is the one who came to save us and deliver us and to fulfill God's salvation on our behalf. Just as death could not hold Jesus, the gospel says that death will, will not be victorious over anyone who trusts in him. Hallelujah! <laughs> I mean, oh, I hope you're seeing what I'm seeing. And whenever you read and study the Bible, look for Jesus. What a picture. What a picture that we're seeing here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You will be raised out of the tomb. You'll be raised out of the lion's den. You'll be rescued. You will be saved. Why? Because he is the living God. Remember the testimony of King Darius? This is the living God. This is the God who's actually alive. And he saves. And he rescues. And this is the proclamation of the gospel through Jesus Christ. He has come. Death could not hold him. Death could not win over him. And for all who place their trust in Jesus, death cannot win or be victorious over us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are in good hands if you are in the hands of God. Remember, God has in his hand your life and all your ways. Trust in him and you will be saved. Today, wherever you are in your journey with God, I want you to walk away from this video knowing that you are secure in the hands of God.
The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. And let's do that together right now. If you're ready to trust in Jesus, make Him the Lord of your life, recognize that heaven rules. Recognize that He is the living God. Recognize that you need to trust your entire life into His hands. Then pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you that you are the living God. Today, I trust my life into your hands. Thank you for rescuing me today, for saving me today. And I have confidence and conviction in the fact that you overcame death and that all who trust in you will also overcome death as you proclaimed. And I have eternity in heaven with you forever. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, paying for my debt, setting me free, rescuing me, and delivering me from sin and death. I'm all yours. In your name I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this study on Daniel. I know there's a lot more that we didn't do, but just remember this. He who trusts in God will be saved, right? No matter what you're going through, no matter what pressures are coming against you, no matter what changes happen in our nation or in our world, be strong in the Lord and in the strength that He gives us. Let's stand strong in our convictions that God is sovereign, His truth is supreme, and He holds eternity in His hands. We can trust in Him because He loves us. God bless you. Let me pray a blessing over you now. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in His name. Amen. God bless you.